0: You're listening to Justice Radio. Welcome. This is Charlotte Warren, and I'm here with my friends Zoe Brokus and Chastity Toole, and you're listening to Ending the Drug War in Maine.
1: So, we're going to start today uh, with a quote like we uh, tend to do, and I'm going to read it. Today And this is a quote that um, if you work in harm reduction, you've probably heard of it. Uh, We all use this quote when we're doing presentations and whatnot, but this is from Eliza Wheeler, who is one of our friends and mentors and colleagues um, and has been doing this work and supporting other harm reduction organizations for a long time. And I just really think that what she has to say here is beautiful. When we think of overdose prevention, of reviving people with naloxone, we do not think of it as a simple public health intervention. We think of it as an act of restoring life, of air, of breath, of allowing for the energy in a human being to begin moving again, to be reanimated. The concrete life-saving act of administering naloxone and restoring breath is also a symbolic act of friendship, of connection, and of radical refusal to allow someone to die alone of a preventable death. The act of restoring life to a friend, a family member, a stranger, this has deep ripples outward, re-envisioning the way we treat each other and the ways in which we see each other and the value, the lives of people who use drugs.
0: Thank you, Zoe. That's beautiful.
1: So we're here with Chastity Tool,
0: And Chastity is a leader in our state of working on ending the drug war in Maine. And she's here representing Maine Access Points. Um, Chastity and Zoe are the two women that I would go to if I had any questions about harm reduction. And so I have a lot of questions about harm reduction. Um, And so that's what we're going to do today. Tell me, we'll start with you, Chasity. Why did you get into the work around harm reduction? And how does that fit into the pathway to ending the drug war?
2: I really just fell into it as a person who used drugs, but I was a very privileged person who used drugs. You know, I was married to a banker. I had kids. I was like the perfect little housewife, but was also like in very chaotic use when it was no longer chaotic it was really like seeing everyone around me didn't have the same opportunities I had and they would come to me for questions for support and it kind of just fell into my lap to just like start doing it especially in rural Maine like we we don't have anything we don't have anything at all um but harm reduction really is it's the only way forward. It's the only way to end the drug war. It's the only way to end the overdose crisis. And there you can't go forward and keep people alive if harm reduction is not a part of that.
0: Well said. And I think we should let our listeners know that you hail from the beautiful Washington County. So when you are talking about rural Maine, you are really talking about okay. rural Maine. Yeah.
2: It's, it's very rural Maine, yes.
0: Absolutely. So, and Zoe, this is also what you do in your daily life is provide harm reduction to Mainers, to Mainers that we love.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: does a day look like of providing harm reduction services to Mainers?
1: Um, So... It looks different every day. Um, and I'll say that, you know, the the organization that I run, we're based in uh central Maine, in Lewiston, um, which is a wild, wild place in and of itself. Um, but my work in harm reduction started in Portland and and Portland is where I live, and Portland is where I have always um, you know worked alongside people who use drugs, done drugs with people who use drugs. And so um, when I started working um sort of professionally in harm reduction, I I realized that it just really clicked with what I always believed people deserved. And I think that um, you know, we we have um started to see, see harm reduction be a more accepted concept. Um and there's certain harm reduction practices that have become more mainstream, which is great. Um, but, you know, really the foundation of harm reduction is, uh, you know, recognizing that drug use is part of society, part of our world, always has been, always will be. Uh, people deserve to use drugs, people want to use drugs, and people can use drugs very safely. Um, so my day to day feels like, uh, you know, it's taken me a long time to get here, But really, if I do nothing else in a day, it's just helping people not feel like drug use has to be this shameful, hidden act because that is when it becomes unsafe and it becomes dangerous. And people who are hiding in bathrooms or alleyways using drugs are oftentimes the people, um, you know, who who might not survive an overdose. So really, just trying to have these conversations that, you know, drug use is a part of life, and there are ways to actually use drugs very safely. But I think like Chassidy said, it also does come with some privilege, you know, you, you have to be able to access clean supplies and you have to be able to, um, you know, as an organization have time and resources to provide those um, services and supplies. And I think that's And and money. And well, yeah, and that's one area that's always been really challenging for those of us who work in harm reduction, because even though it seems like the fundamental way to keep people safe and move forward in ending the drug war and and really changing the way we view drug use, uh, we are still absolutely bottom of the priority when it comes to any sort of state or federal funding. Um, and that's really, really challenging.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And bottom of the funding, but also bottom
0: of the conversation, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? Like one of the pieces that I hear you guys push back at or push back to is how hesitant policymakers are to include reference to harm reduction, Mm -hmm. right? When in fact, harm reduction is something that we do all the time for, for, for the people that we love in every situation. Chasity, can you make it more real for our listeners? What's an example of harm reduction that like everybody just agrees with?
2: Oh, so many, seatbelts, bars for alcohol. I mean, there's so many things we do in our day-to-day life that people don't even think about. And it's harm reduction. Anything that is minimizing any risk, it, it's there.
1: I don't think people realize how often they engage in harm reduction. When I need to feed my child breakfast and she will only eat one type of fruit, you know, and only has for her entire existence, it's like, okay, well, I either give her that fruit every single day or she gets like zero, you know, nutritional value. So, so what, where's the risk, where's the harm and how do I help, uh, create an opportunity for a healthy option, um, And and you know I think you can use that in in many different ways. I do the same thing with my teenager who like continues to smoke weed in her bedroom. You know it's like okay how can we find a way that this is going to work for everyone? Uh, Mm -hmm. How can we you know make sure you are safe and healthy? Uh, I don't really want you driving around at two in the morning and it's not safe for the other people in the home. So like harm reduction I think is used so much and I and just like I've been saying around the word recovery. I just wonder if we made a mistake by like naming it so strongly, like it, and I just have been thinking about that a lot. Like, have we done an injustice by naming it this thing? Because then people talk about harm reduction and recovery or harm reduction as a alternative to, uh, when really it's it's all day, every day, there's just different levels of it.
0: Absolutely. I will say straight up that when I was trying to give up the sauce that was my drug of choice right when i was first going to things that i had always gone to when i was still drinking and was now going to these things and not drinking the way i was able to do that is i started smoking cigarettes like it was my job mm-hmm. like it just it was my harm reduction mm-hmm. you know So, Mm -hmm. like, I I knew, you know, I could go to a party and I was not going to drink the 17 gallons of wine that maybe I would have had, you know, two months before, but I was smoking cigarettes and I don't, I can't explain it, but it works. Mm -hmm. It, you know. It, it may be something that other people want to sit in judgment about, which, you know, A, I don't care, but B, it's that's the example of reducing that level of harm and getting to a better place for me, right? And that's another piece that we all talk about all the time is that for everybody, use and recovery, if we want to call it that, and harm reduction looks like as different as as there are people using it Mm -hmm. right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um so again i want to say that you are listening to ending the drug war in maine with chastity tool and my co-host zoe brokus and me this is charlotte warren and you are more specifically listening to justice radio and we appreciate you being here to listen to justice radio question I have for you guys, because there are also really clear examples of harm reduction that we are trying and have been trying for a while and have had some wins and a lot of losses, but that policymakers or people that say that they care about evidence continue to fight, right? Um, And if we all truly are, interested in saving lives, we would just be doing everything we could to save lives, right? If we were all truly interested in saving lives, we would be saving lives. Mm -hmm. But we're not doing that in this state and in many other states. So what's that about? Chastity, give us some wisdom about um, what's happening in the policy world around harm
2: reduction. In general, we live in a society built around punishment and prisons and this moral failing if people use drugs. But prohibition, criminalization, punishment, that's only increasing risk. It's gonna continue killing people. And it's very odd to me that we have all this evidence, all this data, but people are stuck in the moral high ground that doesn't exist instead of being like oh you know we know all these societal resources can help let's get safe consumption sites syringe service programs safe supply housing first models like we can do all these things but we're too focused on cops like Mm -hmm. we've set it up that the cops are the ones that are going to end this and they're going to save the day while also saying we can't arrest our way out of this and it is just It's crazy. It's such a conundrum to just keep going around and around and around with the same thing.
0: Tell our listeners, thank you, tell our listeners what those things are, safe supply and safe consumption.
2: And what are those things in real life? It's funny you ask that. I've been thinking a lot lately about how we use so many acronyms and different things that are just normal conversation for us. And it's not to people. Safe consumption sites. So that would be a place like a bar for drinking where people can go use their pre-obtained drugs and use safely. They're in a safe environment. They have sterile supplies. If anything happens, there's someone there to save them. I mean, there's hundreds across the world and there's never been an overdose death, but yet people are against them. Safe supply. That would be going to a doctor instead of for your methadone or your Suboxone, you're literally getting the drugs you want that make you feel good under guidance. And it's regulated and it's just so crazy. But if people wanna watch a great film on Safe Supply, Haven, the people who made um, Love in the Time of Fentanyl was really, really good. Say what it's it's only 20 minutes too. And what's it called again? Haven. Haven. Haven in on Vimeo. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I I've had these conversations in the last couple of weeks. I, I think maybe we're all just like getting really burnt out because every conversation I have, it's just like, it is a conundrum because I feel like we're all like, well, we need to decriminalize drugs, but we can't decriminalize drugs until we are willing to like, say, yes, this isn't working. That takes a lot of, um, putting ego aside, and I feel like ego has really gotten in the way of progress because people need to feel important and right. And like, um, I just see that really is a challenge when it comes to law enforcement. you know, like we I, I've been finding words for it in meetings when people say, and this happens all the time. Well, shouldn't we have somebody from law enforcement at this meeting? Shouldn't we bring in law enforcement to make sure they're on board with your harm reduction outreach that you're doing? And they're the
2: experts.
1: Yeah, yeah, and right. Like, well, and, and it's like we, because they feel like we need their support. And I've just gotten to this place where I say like, yeah, I actually don't care at all. And they fundamentally are, their job is the opposite of what we believe. And as long as there is the criminalization of people who use drugs on any level, and that includes trafficking, and that includes furnishing, and you know, like all drugs, all drug crimes, there is no way for us to work side by side with law enforcement. And they have caused so much harm that it would take, even with full decriminalization, I still believe it would take I don't know, a decade plus before people ever felt like, and hopefully we would never have to because once drugs are decriminalized, we don't have to deal with cops at all. Um, But I just think that like, there is no place for law enforcement with harm reduction and I don't want there to be. It doesn't need to be like that. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember, right, that
0: there is one pie called Mm -hmm. the state budget and every dollar we continue to funnel to cops takes away that dollar from harm reduction from treatment from actually saving lives mm-hmm. right actually saving lives um i just think it's so it's so fascinating and here we are you know in the you know in in the midst of the main legislative session right? And we are going to have these con- these battles um, coming up. Are there particular bills around harm reduction that you guys are paying attention to? Or is it more uh, public education right now? Or, or what's up for you guys, chastity in the work?
2: I think both. Like, I feel like we're learning every day about new bills that are really questionable. So it's really trying to pay attention to what's there, educate the community so they can reach out to their lawmakers. Like it's never ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there's so many to look into. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary that every time we get a win, like last year's win with Sam, all of a sudden they try to take, like people are fighting that. Like the cops are using that to get people on other stuff, and it's just this constant cycle of, I think we got ahead a little bit, but we really did. not Right, and it, exactly. Yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm looking at bills put forward by, um, you know, the very folks who are, you know, continual, continually say, we need more mental health, right? We need, you know, we need more mental health, we need more mental health, But then they're putting all of their resources and money behind more criminal justice, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just at the state level, these vast millions and millions of more dollars that the governor has put into her budgets, but even Penobscot County Sheriff's Office. I have heard Sheriff Troy Morton at the main legislature for eight years talking about how he needs more help with folks who are struggling with substance use disorder and mental health. But does he have a bill? Did he get somebody to put a bill in for him around getting those resources? No, guess what? Guess what they have a bill in for? They want more cops up there. And guess what they tried to do? They tried to spend $48,000 of ARPA funding to
2: pay for lobbying efforts to get more cops.
1: Ugh, it's awful. All of these big
2: possession charges that we're seeing everybody right. get, like it's a huge drug bust and pounds of drugs. It's insane. Yeah,
0: say more about that chastity That that they're,
2: there, yeah, there's been some trends. If, if you're on social media, you'll see it, but there's been multiple police departments over the last couple of weeks posting on their Facebook pages, you know, they're pretty little, everything's laid out with, Here's the drugs. Here's the paraphernalia. Today, there were some scratch tickets included in one. <laughs> yes. yeah. Here's the police badge. They yeah. always put the police badge and in. We had, you know, XYZ departments working on this and, like, it's this huge win. They shut down a huge distributor and you read through and the charges are possession. So mm-hmm. they're putting people's names out and putting all this stuff out so the community's coming back at them like they're the scum of the earth and it's a possession charge like that's that's nothing it shouldn't be there at all and it's just so insane how they do that mm-hmm. like we we don't apparently believe in uh innocent until proven guilty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i've
1: noticed that that they have started printing the names of people way more than they used to for much smaller drug-related crimes and so you have to wonder like you know I'm pretty new to um, policy work. And last year we had some, you know, we had some really great wins in in a couple of different ways. And, you know, you kind of are like, okay, yay, we did it. Never thinking that there's like all these grumpy cops sitting, like scheming for the next session. And I think that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I also want to just like bring that back to ego because I think like, we bruised a lot of egos last year by proving, pe- you know, and yeah, by proving people wrong by with all our testimony and our organization, which is beautiful, but I still keep coming back to like, there's got to be a different way to meet in the middle because like, th- we can't do this every year. And there are answers that exist. How do we get those folks to recognize that, like, that's what we need to do? It's just wild. It's just
0: wild. I think it's our listeners. I think the people that are listening right now, I think that you need to please let your policymakers know that the jig is up, that you know that the war on drugs has failed and that you know that we are wrong headed about this, Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: there's more, there's only more and more access to drugs. There's only less safe drugs. And there are only more totally preventable deaths. Mm -hmm. And that's what this drug war has gotten us. It also has created a huge level of crime. And if you look at prohibition, they track, if you look at history, which I know, you know, kind of crazy to expect policymakers to look at history, but the, it, there's a very clear link. And that is why historians are saying we need to end the war on drugs. That's why doctors are saying, right? Um, and so I think it's a big part of it. You're so right, is ego. We are at the end of our time. I want to give you both one last opportunity. So what I was going to say to, to um, our listeners is reach out to your representatives. Tell them you want us to stop in the, in the state of Maine. You want us to fund care, not cages. Mm-hmm. You want us to start treating this as a public health issue, not a criminal legal issue. So, Chastity and Zoe, give us one last piece of wisdom each about harm reduction
2: and why we want our lawmakers in Augusta to support it. Harm reduction, it's not radical. I mean, the definition is it's an act of radical love, but it's not radical. It is literally just loving people and being there for people. And if we don't do that for our folks and we just continue with iron law of prohibition, increase law enforcement, make everything illegal, that's gonna make the substances even more deadly. Each wave it's gonna get deadlier and we can't afford to lose 100,000 people every single year, that, that's insane.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll say, I'll just end on a on a hopeful note. Um, and this actually my mother raised yesterday when we were talking on the phone, where we are seeing more people come forward and talk comfortably and openly about their own experiences with using drugs and their um, commitment to Uh, promoting harm reduction and public health strategies that are founded in science. And so I I think that there are, we just need more of that. And and it's been incredible to see this shift start to happen. Um, But I think that when we say to our listeners, you know, these are the things that you can do. There's also, if you have no idea how to do that or what that looks like, there are resources and there are people who are totally willing to help you. If you want to give testimony for an upcoming bill that you're following, or, you know, you want to write to your uh legislators or you want to put something in the paper like we are all willing to help and i think that is also the foundation of harm reduction is harm reduction is share everything you know we we do this work together we grow together we learn together. And um, so if anyone needs help or wants more information, you can reach out, uh, either find us on Justice Radio's Instagram uh, page or um, reach out to our organizations, either main Access Points or Church of Safe Injection.
0: Awesome. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Chastity, for joining us on Ending the Drug War in Maine. And always thank you, Zoe, for being so awesome. And thank you to our listeners. Please continue to support Justice Radio. And please listen to our other teammates who are uh, producing their shows under Justice Radio. And thank you all for the opportunity. Thanks so much.